most will remember me because of our why and because of our mission. And so, I mean, that alone is a big statement. You know, if people people remember you, people know who you are. And a lot of times it's because of our why. And investors, there's even this big level of trust that investors have just because of our why and just because of our mission. Are you a follower of Jesus that feels called to expand the kingdom of God through building and growing successful businesses? If that's you, then welcome to the Kingdom Capitalist Show that interviews amazing Christians using their business and money-making abilities to expand God's kingdom all over the globe. I'm your host, Ellis Hammond, and welcome to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the Kingdom Capitalist Show. We are back with another amazing guest. I am so excited to bring him on today. We have Whitney Sewell on the podcast. He is the founder of LifeBridge Capital, which works with accredited investors uh, to improve their investment returns through multifamily syndication. Today, we are going to talk about the mission behind multifamily and what he is doing to fund adoptions through his company. Hopefully, we're going to get into start uh, talking about how he has started and scaled his own podcast show um, and then so many more good gems. So, Whitney, welcome to the show, my brother. Tell the audience a little bit more about yourself, about LifeBridge Capital, and where you are at in the world. Oh, that's a lot. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Elsa. I'm, I'm pleasure to be on your show. Happy to be here. It's been a pleasure to get to have you on my show and get to talk and, and get to know you a little better. And uh, looking forward to, to getting to know you even further in the future. But um, a little about me, a little, and you can ask any questions about the background or I can go deeper into whatever you want. Uh, but uh, went into the military, had six years in the National Guard, ended up having two years of active duty, spent a year in Iraq, came home and tried to figure out, you know, what in the world am I qualified to do? You know, I come home, what what can I do? I had no college. Um, and, but, you know, all I knew was military then, and all I knew was, you know, the uniform. And so I was, you know, it was a, it was a pretty easy transition to go into law enforcement. And so uh, there was 1,200 uh, applicants for five positions with Kentucky State Police. And so uh, somehow I was blessed to have one of those positions and and so got hired with Kentucky State Police. I I, I really enjoyed working the road a, a, as a police officer, and I enjoyed the structure and the uniform, and and um, and I, I loved that position. Uh, however, I was doing that before I was married, and get married, and the first whole year of marriage, we just passed each other in the hallway. Mm. And so quickly, I discovered that okay, this is this is not what's going to be best for our family long term. You know, this is, it's just not, it's, it's such a difficult, fa- you know, position on a family, you know, to be right. a police officer. And so, so quickly then I could say, okay, this is as much as I enjoyed it, it's not what's best. And uh, we wanted my wife to be able to stay at home when we had kids and, and making, you know, about 30 to 35 grand a year, just, it was going to be very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not you know? making a pitch for Kentucky, uh, police officer right now huh <laughs> no i mean it's it's a sad reality yeah, you know that, totally. and they're paid a little more than that now but, but still it's a you know it, the position the hours and stuff that the things you're having to deal with it's just it's right. a really low paying job so so you know i it put me on a hunt on a search for something else i wasn't raised in an entrepreneurial family i didn't i wasn't raised around people that invested in real estate i had no clue all this stuff was out there that i could be doing this stuff and so started doing a little research in came rich dad, poor dad amongst some other books and, you know, kind of opened my eyes to, you know, the wealth that so many had created in real estate. And so 
right away, I was like, okay, if they can do it, so can I. So this was in 2009. And quickly, I purchased a couple triplexes. And this is while I was still working with state police and made a lot of mistakes. And I mean, even then, even then when like should have been able to get a great deal, I think we still overpaid and, and we still, you know, just made a lot of mistakes. I self-managed and, and learned a lot the hard way. But, um, uh, but so during that whole time, I was still trying to figure out, okay, am I going to stay with state police? What, what am I going to do? Found a federal position. Uh, and so I became a federal agent that moved us to Virginia. I sold those triplexes and ended up buying and selling small multis, single families in Virginia, where we still live up to like a 15 unit, which I actually just sold uh, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So, but a couple of years ago or about two and a half years ago now, I guess I was introduced to this thing called syndication. And I, you know, at this point, if you're even Anytime before this, if you had asked me, you know, Whitney, what about buying a, you know, 50 unit building or a hundred unit building or something bigger? I mean, I would have about laughed at you and said, oh, you know, well, maybe 20 years from now, or I don't know who those guys are, you know, that can do that. Cause that, that's just not me. You know, I just don't have that kind of capital. And so, you know, I, I just couldn't see it. It just was not in my vision whatsoever uh, that that was even an option or possibility. And so I was introduced to the syndication business and figured out there are people that are buying buildings like that. And they were, they had been able to build a business and scale quickly. And, uh, you know, I, I loved the, I love building teams and structures and systems and working with professionals as opposed to looking for more tenants and toilets and, uh, right. you know, those types of things and self-managing. And so this just, this business model just made sense to me. And I thought, okay, you know, like I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pursue this. So Real we quick, sold everything. How, how did you get introduced to syndication? Because you didn't come from an entrepreneur background. You didn't have a real estate background. Now, granted, you started doing some deals, but how did you even get introduced to to something bigger like this, like syndications? The I think the initial thing was probably through a podcast. Okay. Uh, you know, like just hearing about what a syndication is and how these guys are buying apartment buildings and things, you know, large apartment buildings. And I just didn't even know that this this was even out there, you know, like it was just, I just had the blinders on really. I just thought, okay, I have to, you were know, you I, looking I, for something more. Is that why you were on the podcast or, or you just kind of, it kind of came out of left. Yeah. Field. I was just educating myself. Cause I didn't even know this. Like, I didn't even know this is out there. I really thought that, okay, you know, I'm going to buy the single family homes and maybe the duplexes, then the fourplexes and then scale up gradually, gradually, like everybody thinks you have to do most, or most people all say, think you have to do. And, and, and so that's what I thought that I was trying to pursue that, okay, we're going to keep growing. We got to have this many units to this many single family homes or duplexes to, to replace our income, you know? And then, you know, through a podcast or through something like that, I was introduced to the syndication business. And then I was on the hunt for a mentor. Um, and so, you know, and that, that's, that was a big turning point, you know, was finding a mentor. And that was, yeah, so a couple, it was two, about two and a half years ago. And, and then, you know, then came the, you know, the development of the podcast and, you know, actually building my network to raise capital and, and partner with other operators and, and just learning and educating myself about the business. So, so I could, you know, get out there and do it myself. So today, what do you have under management than when you started two and a half years ago, as far as kind of your, your portfolio of, of multifamily real estate? So we have 250 doors under management, and then we have just under a thousand that we've invested in. Okay, yeah, that that includes like co GP as well. Sure, sure, sure. 
So those 250 doors, what is that? What is that value that would you guess? Would a uh, value about uh, 30 million, 35 million. So in two and a half years, you went from buying duplexes to building a portfolio of $30 million. That's incredible. Guys, we haven't even gotten to the content yet. You know, like this is incredible. <laughs> There's so much in there that I'm excited to uh, to pull out. Um, but before we jump in, you know, I said on the pre-recording that I wanted just to open up. We haven't done this yet, Whitney. Uh, so I'd love for it just to open up in prayer. Uh, I really ask God to use this time because I'm excited for where this podcast is going and who it's helping. And so we just ask, uh, we'd love to ask God just to bless it uh, and bless our listeners. So l- let me just pray for us real quick. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time with Whitney and for his story and the way that you are using him in the world and in the syndication business, and in his family, and in the adoption world. And Lord, I just pray for this conversation that you might use it to bless our listeners and to really help people wherever they are really draw closer to you, to really see you as the king and the kingdom in which we're building for. Uh, And they also might find encouragement in this story, uh, in their own business, in their own family, in their own mission. And so I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I appreciate I appreciate that right there. And I just want to say I've been interviewed, I don't know, 30, 40 times or more. And it's the first time anybody's ever prayed on a podcast. And so I, I love that. Thank you. Very well, much. we might have just shot ourselves in the foot with any sponsors we were looking for, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the we'll best sponsors on your it. side. That's it, man. Amen. Yeah. So all right. So so LifeBridge Capital. So this is the name of your company. And tell the listeners who don't know about LifeBridge Capital. Okay, we understand it's a syndication business. You're you're buying multifamily real estate. You're bringing along passive investors to help you fund these deals. You know, um, we've talked about multifamily a little bit on this podcast already. So um, I don't know if we need to get too far in it. But what I really want to double click on is is the mission you have behind LifeBridge Capital. Talk me through the name and then and then really how you how you set that up to really serve what you and your wife are passionate about. So. That's awesome. And and I love sharing about our, our why and our mission. And and so about, uh, and actually, uh, you know, the, some of the timeline that I already shared, like us coming to Virginia, we moved to Roanoke and that was in like, November of 2011. And actually the week that we moved to Roanoke, it may have even been just a day or two after, you've probably heard of David Platt and he's done this thing called Secret Church uh, for, for a number of years now. And and that weekend, he was doing a secret church on caring for orphans and widows. And we so we traveled to Lynchburg. We didn't know anybody in the area. We just moved here like a day or two before. And so we went to this event and we, it was six hours, you know, just some solid teaching. It was really good. And on our way home, you know, he he had shared about how they had adopted and all this. And my wife and I had never we had never even discussed adoption before. Like it had never crossed our mind. Uh, we we were raised in a one stop lot town. There was about two kids that were, uh, I mean, that I knew of that had been adopted. I mean, it was like this very very foreign thing. Um, but you know, during that night, uh, Platt was talking about it and just you know just how you know as a believer, uh, you know, knowing Christ, like who should be caring for orphans, caring for widows, mm. and and it should just be a desire of ours. And so on our way home, we were talking about it, and we couldn't think of a good reason not to adopt. You know, it wasn't like, well, why should we? It was like, well, why would we not? Why would we not do this? And so we just really felt led, I mean, then to to pursue adoption and just really didn't even question it. You know, I, I think we were we were kind of ignorant to the whole process, thankfully. 
you know, I think the, you know, it was a good thing, but the Lord used that and just really led us to just be confident and, and that's what we were supposed to do. And within a week, we turned in an application to adopt from Ethiopia. Wow. And so not knowing that, you know, it's going to cost us 40 to 60 grand and not knowing that it was going to take two years, you know, two last minute flights uh, to Ethiopia and back. And, you know, this just long roller coaster of a process, um, you know, we didn't know any of that, but obviously, you know, we're so thankful that we stuck it out. We're so thankful that the Lord called us to that. And so two years to the month, our first son, Samuel, came home from Ethiopia. Hmm. And so, you know, it's an amazing story. I mean, he was, uh, you know, and I um, always hesitant about how much to share about, you know, his background and all of our kids. But, but, um, but, you know, just some really hard stuff there. And it. it just to see how the Lord has grown him now, you know, and healed him. And I mean, he's a picture of health now and, and he was not so healthy, you know, when he came home and, uh, and just some really hard stuff. So, so, you know, the Lord just done a lot there, but the Lord really grew my wife and I in many ways and just used that to grow other people, uh, you know, and, and just, it really gave us a big, door of speaking to others about the Lord and what he had done in our son and our lives just through that process. You know, it just like, there's so many things the Lord used that for that we never, we never seen coming. Right. I mean, we just, mm-hmm. you know, we couldn't have even guessed. And so quickly we adopted it. We started the process again, thinking it might take another two years. And so, you know, then it was like, as soon as we started the process again, it was like nine months later, we were bringing our second son home. So it was wow. kind of fast. <laughs> You're right. And so, you know, and that's been amazing as well. I mean, they, they've been their best friends and and we're so thankful that they have each other. And, and we just brought home our daughter. Uh, she's three months old now. And so she was born in Florida is our third adoption. And it was, it was the worst roller coaster yet. I mean, it was, uh, and that's a whole big story, but it's a, it's just, it's just amazing to see the Lord's hand. We actually had a failed placement and, and we were matched again really quickly, but through a totally different way that we didn't even see coming. And just the Lord just really did some amazing things and, um, and just, story after story, just through that process of how the Lord's hand was in it and how he blessed it. And through these trials, okay, of, you know, 40 to 60 grand a piece, you know, you can imagine being a police officer or coming off that salary, you know, becoming a federal agent. I did increase my pay some, but it was still very difficult to afford, you know, 60 grand to adopt, you know, these, you know, each time this many times. And so because of that burden and because of that, you know, we, we just really felt led to be able to help others financially through that process. Cause time and time again, we hear, you know, people ask us questions about adopting and, and we, you know, they say, well, what's it going to, what's it cost? You know, how do you, you know, what's that going to be? And we say 40 to 60 grand and their immediate response is, well, wait a minute, you know, like that's more than I make in a year, mm. you know, or how can I do that? You know, like that's just not possible, you know? And, and so, you know, and that's where we want to be able to come along beside them and say, it is possible, you know, and we want to be able to help. And, and so, uh, and that's what led us to, you know, begin LifeBridge Capital and, and to commit, you know, half of our profits to these families who can't afford, can't afford to adopt. And so, you know, we're in the process now of starting our own nonprofit, you know, which will help us to, to fund, uh, which will fund to, to do this. But, but that's, you know, at the time I had a different business and, and we had a farm and we sold every bit of it. And we, I mean, we just completely, uh, so we could afford to adopt and, and I could just dive into the syndication business, just all in, you know, and go ahead. 
Well, <laughs> I, I don't. I, I think I. I don't. You said something that caught me off guard because I thought you were giving away twenty five percent of your profits, but you said you give away half of your profits. Is that? Did I hear you correctly? You did. So that's going to hit our listeners, and it hits me in a really. So you have a company. This is your company that you're building, and you give away half of your profits. So there's a couple of questions there because this is amazing, and I, I just I don't think I understand it really completely. First question I want to know is when you say you give away half of your profits. Is it you give away half of like what you get from a salary, or do you give away half of the profits that LifeBridge Capital makes? How do you how do you actually structure that? What does that look like? That's a good question. So so you know it would be it would be like my personal profits or my personal income. Okay, so like because LifeBridge, so you know each individual property is going to be in its own entity, and and LifeBridge. It probably won't even be, con- you know, the, like that entity. I mean, I'm not an attorney, by the way, <laughs> but, you know, that that entity, you know, may or may not be connected to that entity that owns the property. However, my income would be funneled through LifeBridge, you know, my, you know, my salary or, you know, however you want to say it, uh, my personal income. So it'd be half of my personal profits. Uh, obviously, the business still has to operate. We still have to, you know, pay all our bills, you know, and all that stuff. But, right. but it would be half of my, my normal salary or income that I would personally take. Okay, got it. And then how did you come up with 50%? Like, I, I mean, was, you know, most people would be like, I gave away 10 or, you know, maybe I gave away 15. I'm really generous. <laughs> you give away half on and you started this company to support your family. Like this is not like, you know, you're you're on the side hustle. This is your your business and your company that you went all in on. You sold your farm to do 50 percent. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's it's a. I just felt it was something the Lord led me to do, and and also I had a different business before this, and I felt like the Lord was leading me then to do it, and I didn't do it, and mm-hmm. and you know I, I and I felt like He just reminded me again about that, and and I just said, okay, Lord, you know, like this is this is all yours anyway, and I just felt like it's going to just be that bigger of a reason to allow him to work and to shine and for other people to say, well, that's not possible. And to him to be able to show that it is possible. So third question, I mean, how, I guess I'm curious. And I think a lot of our listeners be curious, like, are you able to make money? Like, I mean, what do you have to do in your business in order to support your family and still give away 50%? I mean, how does, is, and did you start that way or did you work up to 50%? How'd you even be able to do that? So I, I have still been working a full-time job at the same time, you know, okay. as, you know, when I started LifeBridge and all that, you know, working full-time at the same time. And so, you know, in, in LifeBridge, obviously starting a new company, everything initially for a long time was just put right back into the company. You know, everything that we were making was put right back in. Like I said, and now we're, we're in the process of starting our own nonprofit. And so like that, that 50% is going to go towards our nonprofit. Uh, I mean, initially it's gone towards, uh, you know, our adoptions. And then, uh, and now, you know, it will go towards our own nonprofit uh, that, that will help fund others as well. Um, yeah. I'd love to have you back on after you start that nonprofit too, so that we could talk about, we could talk about that nonprofit. That sounds amazing. The The goal maybe the whole time was to really fund this, but you, you kind of reinvested those funds back into the business um, and until you could, you know, it, it was profitable. And then you started donating 50% That's of right. your personal income to, to your adoptions with the vision of starting this nonprofit so that you could begin to help others. That's right. That's incredible. Re- real quick. Let me ask you this question. I don't really understand. Why does it cost so much to adopt? 
Whitney? I get that question a lot. And, and it's, it's a real shame, honestly. It's a big frustration. I mean, we just got another bill today, actually, a medical bill. <laughs> I mean, it's like, what? <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like never ending. The, the family, honestly, the families that are adopting have nobody advocating for them. And it's really sad. You know, everybody advocates for the birth mothers and the children, which is great. They, they need it. They do. And I'm not taking away from that. But I just mean the families that are that are really putting themselves out here are, are really, you know, are having to come up with all this, these finances, are, you know, they're really put in a bind a lot of times in a big way financially, and there's nobody to help them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nobody to help them even through the process. Um, you know, and so we, we were in the process to adopt with a failed placement in this agency that we just, just had a failed placement with, um, you know, pretty much kept all of our money. Okay. So now we're talking 40 to 50 grand that, you know, we're, we're not getting back and then we're matched again. And guess what? We got to come up with it again, you know, just really quickly. And so, you know, there's nobody that advocates for, for those families, but there are legitimate expenses that need to be paid for. You got to make sure you're doing it legally. Right. So there's lots of attorney fees. If it's international, you're going to have lots of flights, international flights that are very expensive. They called us on a Monday. Remember, we've been waiting almost two years uh, for this for this call. But they call us on Monday and say your appointment, your court appointment in Ethiopia is on Thursday. Wow. So it's like, okay, you know, what flights are available to get us to Ethiopia by then? You know, and it was like business class. Like that was the only thing that was available. It was like 10 grand for one set of wow. flights. We, and we had to go twice, you know. So, but are you going to say no? Well, of course not. You know, you've been waiting all this time. So there there are legitimate expenses. Um, there's lots of attorney fees. There's lots of, if you do domestic, there's lots of birth mother expenses that you have to pay for. Um, you know, there's, there's and, and then the agencies themselves, you know, have lots of fees that you have to pay for. You know, anybody that's listening, I always say, if you're looking to adopt, you're thinking about adopting, please reach out. My wife and I schedule calls with other couples that are looking to adopt and, and just answer questions that you may have from our experience. We're happy to do that because there's, there's agencies that are not legitimate and that are just mm. there to take your money. And so, you know, you have to be very careful. And we actually have a great consultant that helped us through the whole process uh, domestically. Uh, real quick, why don't you go ahead and show the listeners how they can get in touch with you and then we'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, my email is Whitney at LifeBridgeCapital.com. You can also call me 540-585-4338. Got it. And I'll make sure we put all that in the show notes for them to be able to do that. Uh, you know, I was just thinking as you were talking about the nonprofit, one of the ways, you know, possibly that people could even donate to the nonprofit, I think about, I mean, we're, this is the Kingdom Capitalist podcast, and I know a lot of business people have to travel a lot, which means they have you know, millions of sky miles. I mean, that, that seems like a very cool way for people to get involved is they could donate sky miles. I mean, you just said you spent 20 K on flights when someone could probably cover that with the miles that they have that they're not going to use. That's true. That's a, that's a very good idea. Very good idea. So I think, I think that that would be a really, a really cool way to maybe get people involved in the process. So if you have sky miles, people, you travel a lot, <laughs> then then he just gave you his number. Anyways, incredible story. I, I'm so, so glad to know you. And I don't think people understand, like no one, there's a lot of syndicators out there. There's a lot of people in multifamily. And um, what what you're doing is is really impressive. And, and it sets you apart. So I want to talk about that for a minute, just that process of, you know, building this business, 
and kind of putting that out there like, hey, we're we're giving away 50% of our profits. I, I guess I just like to know, like, I don't know how that has come off or how that has maybe impacted your business, either positively or negatively. Uh, walk us through kind of kind of that side of things. So I was I was speaking at a conference in New Jersey just a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking about branding and talking about your why and the importance of your why and all that stuff. And and I was talking about how uh, initially about how when I used to go to a conference and somebody would stand up and talk about mindset or talk about why, that's when I hit the door. Or I'd be in the back networking or I'd be like, okay, when you get to the meat and potatoes or actually give me some actionable items, then I want to come back and listen. You know, I just really toned that out. And because I, I had no clue though, just how important that your, your why is at that time. And so, you know, after the Lord just really led us to do this, and the more passionate we've become about it, obviously through three adoptions, the more we've learned about the adoption process, the difficulties of adoption and the need. And, and just, you know, if, you know, actually at that conference, too, I asked, I said, how many people know how many orphans there are in the world? Nobody knew. Not one person. You know, there's hundreds of people in here. No, nobody had any idea. Well, there's over 150 million orphans in the world. OK, and that's almost half of the population of the United States. Okay, so think about that for a minute. You know, that's that's how many orphans there are. There's over five million just in Ethiopia alone in that one country. So, you know, so there's a just a dire need, you know, for families that would adopt and, and bring these children into good homes. So, you know, but having that passion and having and I didn't plan this this way. And, I, and that's what I was telling people is like your importance of your why. And there's there's bigger things that are going to come out of your why that then you then. That what you really think about, because initially you're going to think, well, it's just going to keep me motivated. It's going to keep me getting out of bed in the morning. It's going to, you know, keep me pushing forward, you know, when I get punched in the face or whatever that may be. But however, I, I would, I would disagree. I mean, it's going to do those things, but it's a lot bigger than that. And so, and, and for one, my wife couldn't care less about real estate. <laughs> okay. I mean, couldn't care less about real estate. Like I could have said, I want to go be a, I don't know, any kind of business, you know, and she'd have probably supported me some, you know, for some reason, but anyway, she loves the Lord. So uh, my, yeah. my wife's the same way. She, I, I think I, I think she actually is about tired of hearing about real estate. Yeah, yeah, well, mine too, I'm sure. But, but, you know, because of our, but one thing she is very passionate about is adoption and helping other families adopt. And so she is also very passionate about our why and our mission. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I'm in the office for like 15 hours a day, you know, five, six days a week or more, you know, like, you know, she is manning the house completely, you know, three kids, including a newborn, you know, doing everything. And, and so, you know, it's, it's a sacrifice for all of us for sure. Uh, but she has that why in mind, you know, and, and why we're doing this. And so it's had a big effect on her. Right. And so, and also it helps me to stand out with investors. And I didn't, I didn't plan this this way. Uh, and I didn't even, I didn't see it even coming at first, but you know, everybody's so nervous about those first conversations with investors. Uh, but you know, when I, when I approach an investor and we're talking about, uh, or we're just getting to know each other and, you know, I get to tell them about our why and about our mission. And it's, it's a totally different dynamic than they expected. You know, like they expect me to tell them about multifamily. They expect me to tell them about some project we're working on. But then here I come off with, with you know, adoption and how passionate we are about helping families with adopting and how investors are getting to play a role in this. And it's not affecting their returns in any way, mm -hmm. you know. And so, you know, I'm already set up, set 
apart from all the other syndicators. But I didn't, like I said, I didn't plan it that way, but I started to see it happen. And then I said, oh, wow, you know, like, like either people don't care, you know, and that's fine. You know, like it doesn't make me any difference, but most, most will remember me because of our why and because of our mission. And so, I mean, that alone is a big statement. You know, if people, people remember you, people know who you are. And a lot of times it's because of our why and investors, there's even this big level of trust that investors have just because of our why and just because of our mission. And I I would even say bigger than all of that, it normally will give me a reason to bring up what the Lord has done, Mm -hmm. you know, in our business and in our family, in these kids, you know, and just in my wife and I. And, and so it gives me, it gives me another way to share about the Lord and, and to share just his faithfulness and his goodness to us. And, and just, yeah, just through that adoption story. That's so good. Woody, what what is the biggest struggle for you as a kingdom capitalist, right? Like you're a very generous capitalist and giving away 50% of your profits, but I mean, you're, you're working long days. You're, you're doing big deals here. But so, so what, what's the biggest struggle for you as, as a kingdom man, as a capitalist, what would you say? Right now, <laughs> the biggest struggle is being at home enough. Mm. You know, it's like I'm, you know, pushing to grow this business. I'm working just lots of long hours and and I, I'm not at home enough. E- even if I'm like I've got an office in the basement and that's where I'm at right now. You know, even though I'm in here, I'm not at home, you know. Uh, and so, you know, that's that's my biggest struggle right now is is, you know, being that a father enough, you know, like because um, like I mentioned other, earlier, it's a sacrifice for the whole family for us to pursue this and for us to, to make this happen because it's such a big time commitment at the moment. Um, you know, so that, you know, making certain, you know, all the business stuff's getting done, but making sure that I'm still the father I need to be and making sure I'm still the husband I need to be, you know, and those things. And, and even, you know, I'm, 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 I'm having to say no to lots of things on purpose, you know, so, you know, instead of, going out and doing something, whatever, that's not business related even is, you know, I'm usually having to say no. So I can say yes to spending some more time at home or spending some more time with my wife or my kids. And, and, um, but that balance is, is, is a struggle at the moment just because of the time commitment. Yeah. And it goes back to being on the same page with your wife. I'm sure it goes back to knowing what your why is, and probably even having a, a goal in mind of you you don't want to do this forever, right? Like you're not you don't want to be in the basement for forever. I, I am curious about that though because you know we're both in the multifamily world. We hear a lot of people and even maybe our our sell in some ways say invest in multifamily real estate because you can achieve financial freedom or financial independence so that you can you know live life on your own terms. But here you are working fifteen or sixteen hours a day. Why why do we you know? I guess I'm curious because I'm I'm in the same boat. I'm really building out this business for the goal of achieving financial independence. How do you see those two things coming together? It, it, are we just promised something that takes a lot longer than than we expect, or uh, what's your answer to that? You know, doing these the small the small multis or single families, I think it was going to take me a lot longer than it will with large multis. Um, yeah, but however, it, it's, it's still going to take some time, but I feel like it's going to take less deals mm-hmm. and, but I feel like the infrastructure, the systems and all those things that I'm building now 
you know, like that's what's taking me so much time to perfect and making certain, you know, that all these things are solid, um, you know, but, you know, so before we ever get to, you know, 10,000 units, all these things have to be really good, you know, but, but as long, you know, once we have all those things in place, then I'm not going to have to reinvent the wheel, you know, every time, you know, we're going to continually improve and we are, but I feel like initially to get started, it just takes a lot of time. It takes so much time to network and connect with all these people and investors and kind of get that system down. But, but I feel like, you know, we're always going to be looking for deals, but the whole process is going to become easier. Right. And I, I see it happen with so many guys, you know, they do a few deals and all of a sudden, you know, raising capital becomes so much easier. And, you, and by that time you've developed all your systems and you have all these systems to communicate with investors and distributions and documents and, you know, all these things that, you know, are, are difficult at first. Right. I mean, it's like, how do we do this? How do we make certain we're doing this the best way we can? And and I feel like initially that just takes a lot of time. But, you know, you know, in another six months, I don't plan to be working 15 hours a day. I'll say that. Sure. No, that that's that's a great point. So you talked about raising money or getting in front of investors. I know one of the ways that you've done an amazing job of this, and maybe maybe this is not your best avenue, but it's the one I want to talk about. But I would love to hear where it ranks is starting your own podcast. Uh, you have an amazing podcast show. Like I said, I've I was the guest on one of those shows talking about how to use LinkedIn um, to acquire more leads for your business. So that if any of our listeners are interested in LinkedIn, um, highly encourage you to check out Whitney's podcast. But I would I want to talk about that. I just have a couple of questions. First of all, what is the name of your podcast show for our listeners? It's the Real Estate Syndication Show. Okay, so the real estate syndication show. We'll definitely put a link to that. Maybe we'll maybe we'll put my episode in the <laughs> in the link. Yeah, y- your show is number WS three hundred and twenty five. It came out on September the eleventh. I was three twenty five, folks. There you go. And probably the I've done a lot of podcast shows, and that is the one I still get emails and phone calls about. Uh, so uh, apparently there was some good stuff in there. But I, I want to talk about that. How long have you been doing the podcast show? Just over a year. Okay, so, so we, uh, you know, it's every day. It's seven days a week. And uh, I mean, we just crossed a, we just crossed a year. Wow. So did you start at seven days? Yes. Yes, we did. Oh, wow. Okay. So you've been doing seven days a week. Incredible. Yeah. To, today was actually show 380. So we've been doing it 380 days nonstop. So how do you, how do you structure? Do you actually record every day or do you record on a couple of days or how do you do that? 381. Sorry. Uh, so we record, um, I mean, I'll record a dozen shows in one day. Okay. Um, you know, and I may do a dozen on Monday, then I'll do four or five, you know, a couple afternoons a week, something like that. So how do you actually, I don't know, put all that together because I'm recording once a week right now, or I'm recording multiple times, of course, right. But we're going to plan to produce once a week. And it's just, Nuts. I don't know. I'm like all over the place, right? Like I'm running back home to get on the show with you. Are you using a VA to talk me through your systems to, to be able to do that much volume and then how you're producing that much content? I just, I'm, I kind of want the, the, the sneak peek of, of your systems and processes and trying to really grow this thing. Yeah. So we, you know, doing a seven day a week podcast from the beginning, like I knew that I was not going to be able to do all the back end work. I mean, that just it was not going to be possible. So I knew from the beginning that I was going to have to build a team, right? And so, so I built a team. I had four VAs that did something for the podcast every day, okay? And then I had another one that was an executive assistant. 
And then I, ha- I even had one or two others that were just kind of as needed. And so, so I built a team. I found these people. They were from all over the world, from every kind of country you can think of, but they all had a specific skill. You know, so I found somebody that could do audio editing. I found somebody that could do video editing. I found somebody that could do show notes, you know, and, and so I had a, and still have uh, this, you know, like big Excel sheet that has everybody's jobs laid out, you know, and everybody can see it. And, and we go down this list of things that everybody has to get done. And mm-hmm. so there's this chain of events, you know, that has to happen. You know, that allowed my executive assistant to help manage the whole thing. And then it allowed us to see where everybody was at in that system. You know, and since then, obviously, we've improved, we've changed things. And now I've got a totally different team that does all the back end production now. You know, so I still have I still use VAs uh, all the time. I've got uh, two that work for me almost all the time, one that's almost full time, another that's about half time. And then I use other VAs to do other specific tasks. So using VAs, you know, it's been something I've become skilled at, but it's because of the podcast. It was because of that need. And so I have never edited the first piece of audio or video myself. I don't know how and I don't want to know how. It's not the best use of my time. And so, you know, I knew that I had to find other people to do that and build that team. And so that's what we did. Yeah, that's so huge. I mean, first of all, VA virtual assistant for anyone who uh, doesn't know um, what that is, we're going to get into that. But I just want to make a quick point because you realized if you were spending most of your time editing podcast shows, that's not the best use of your time. That's not your money making activity. So you bit the bullet and said, I'm going to actually invest that money into that because that's going to come back to me. I can then you know, be on the phone or doing whatever you need to do, looking at deals. So I just think that's a great point, um, hiring a VA. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I want to get into the weeds here because I think this is going to be helpful for me. I think for many kingdom capitalists, I want you to know the podcast realm, the podcast world is blowing up. It's not too late to start a podcast for anybody listening. Yes, there are a lot of shows, but um, it is still really incredibly relevant. It's growing a ton. Um, so it's not too late to start your podcast show. You should definitely, definitely do it. So I want to use this time to actually help us to figure out, I mean, Whitney, seriously, he's recording seven days a week. I get his emails. They look amazing. His, his shows are fantastic. He has relevant guests on every day. So right now, I mean, if we're starting a show and let's, let's just use mine, for example, Kingdom Capitalist. So right now I have one VA and she is doing, she's from the Philippines and I hired her, um, from, uh, Upwork. Is that the platform you use? It is. I've used okay. others, but that's been, I've had more success with Upwork than anything. Okay. So Upwork, so I'm doing right there. I have one virtual assistant and she is going to do the audio production. Um, she is going to create kind of like a a little audio blurb. And I think she'll write some show notes. I mean, what are you doing right now? I mean, you're, you said you had four VA, VAs and an executive assistant Walk me through maybe some tips to help me with that or, or what what other stuff could I be giving her, you know, to really get this thing? I mean, you just record, put in a Dropbox and then you're you're finished and then it, it uploads for you. That was the plan from the beginning. And obviously there's been times where I've had to be a little more involved, but mo- more managing than anything. You know, but yeah, I'm completely pulled out now. So all I do is the interviews. I upload the shows to, you know, big share drive that we have and then you know, then our team does all the production on the back end. I mean, everything. Um, and so I, I, the only other thing that I will do then is try to comment. Like when people comment on social media, I try to sure. respond. It's difficult to keep up with that. Uh, very difficult. So but our it, first hire on a VA, what, what are we looking for? So, 
are we just talking about podcasting? Just podcasting. Or just, yeah, okay. let's just so, talk about podcasting. Yeah, so so you really want to break down the jobs. Uh, however, if you're do, you have to think about how often you're putting out shows. If you're doing a seven day a week show, then I'm going to hire somebody that just does audio editing, and like that's all they're going to do for me. Okay, like and then I'm going to hire somebody that just does show notes. Maybe two people that does show notes so they can keep up or I know that they can keep up. Okay. And then I'm, you know, then I'm going to have somebody else that just does video editing. All right. And that's all they're going to do. That's if I'm doing a seven day a week, like I'm really going to break it down. Okay. But, but if I'm doing a weekly show, then I'm probably just going to have one person that can do most things. And then maybe in a second to do, maybe I have a second one to do show notes or a second one to do the video editing and social media, you know, something like that. But, but there's lots of people that specialize, lots of virtual assistants that specialize in podcasting now. And so you could find somebody very easily to do the audio, audio editing and then, and do like publishing it every day or, or whatever day, you know, the week that you're doing it. And then, you know, and have somebody else do the video editing and, and maybe the social media, you know, so you could probably have two different assistants. And, and so, you know, I don't like having all my eggs in one basket, Mm -hmm. you know, that person quits or, you you know, doesn't do a good job, Uh, you know, doing a daily show. It's a big deal because you don't want to miss a day and it's hard to switch those teams. Okay. But doing a weekly show, you've got a little bit of time there, you know? And so, Uh, But, you know, so I would probably hire two different people and they would do, you know, they would have two totally different types of tasks uh, that they would be responsible for, you know, for that show. Uh, But but I would hire them dependent on their specialty. Like I would look for somebody that's good at audio editing and maybe one other thing, you know, or show notes and one other thing, you know, something like that. And then you just give them access to your your host for your podcast and they're able to upload all that onto that thing. And, and then That's someone, right. someone's in charge of hitting publish. You have someone who's their task is to hit publish. Well, so, so we, we record about 30 to 50 shows ahead of time. And so we're, you know, we're more than a month scheduled out all the time. And so what happens is, is the team will, will pre-schedule, you know, shows. And so they're, you know, they're way ahead. And so shows are already scheduled to be published on their own. And so, you know, there's not somebody every day that hits publish. And gotcha. so, you know, they, you know, the, the show goes through the system. So I upload it to a share drive, you know, then there's different people on the team that pull out the audio and edit that there's somebody else that pulls out the video and edits that puts the audios together, all that stuff, you know, makes all that happen, uploads it to YouTube, um, make sure that it's, pu- you know, it's scheduled to be published, making sure that it is published. You know, our team's even going back and, and saying, okay, is everything correct today? You know, did it get published mm-hmm. today like it's supposed mm-hmm. to? Did the sponsors get in there? Is everything, you know, does it look correct? All those things, okay? But, I mean, it's a big process. Um, but, so, you know, we're, we'll, we'll have, you know, six, eight, ten shows scheduled to be published out, you know, on their own. And whether it's Lipson or Buzz, we use actually Buzzsprout now. It's kind of a newer hosting platform, but you know, it's a you know they'll schedule those shows out you know way in advance. Okay, cool. So, how much are you typically paying, kind of a virtual assistant for something like, for example, how much does it really cost you to produce a show? I mean, or or so that, and then if we were just having one, how much typically you think is a good price to to be able to pay someone to do all this? So it depends on if you are doing a weekly or a 
daily show. I'm gonna. I mean, I can get it cheaper because I'm doing daily. Let's you know? assume weekly because but, daily is you're 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 kind of insane. So let's talk about <laughs> doing a weekly show. <laughs> so you know, I think most most of the time you're gonna you're gonna be able to see that or expect anywhere from 130 to 170 dollars per show to produce a weekly show. Oh wow. That's a lot more than I'm paying right now, I think. So maybe yeah. I'm getting away. So, but that's with but, video as well, though. That's all uh, yes, show that's notes. right. That's with video. That's them uploading it to the hosting platform. Oh, and they also put it on my website every day as well. Okay, so you have someone putting your website. Yep. That's really key. Yep, I like I'm not that. doing any of that. Yep. Okay. Last question about the podcast because you're seven days a week. It's a lot of guests. Who who's finding all of your guests? How are you scheduling that that portion? Um, you know, because it, it, you want to make sure you bring on quality guests, right? So how are you getting in front of these people and how are you how are you getting them on your show? It's a great question. And a lot of people say, well, how do you find all your guests or how initially it was, how did you get such quality guests in the very beginning? Because it's difficult. A lot of people don't want to be interviewed on a brand new show, especially if they're a big name individual, um, you know, or they've done lots of podcasts. They're going to wait and see if you're still around after you know, 50 to a hundred shows before they're going to be willing to come on your show or wait till you have a bigger following. And so initially for me, it was using other podcasts to find guests. You know, there's other real estate podcasts who have done, uh, you know, lots and lots of shows. So initially that was a great place to start to find guests. Okay. Because all their emails, their contact information is at the end of every show, That's true. you know? <laughs> and so, but outside of that, you know, and my, and I've I, I never reach out to anybody. My assistant or somebody on the team will do that. Um, so you said you had an you kind of gave them a list of real estate shows, and they just went through that and reached out on your behalf. Yeah. So I actually I had a VA in another country. I don't remember where he's from, and he still helps me some for with other things. But actually, I created this Excel file, and what he would do or Google Sheet, what he would do is uh, you know I would tell him go to this podcast, put all the guest names here, all their emails here, any other contact information. And maybe even the link to where you found them. Okay. And then my main assistant then would, would watch this because it's shared, right? And and as he would add people, if we, you know, if she felt they were qualified, she would send them our invitation, you know, to be on the show. You know, she would reach out to them through email uh, for them to be on the show. And so, you know, initially, you know, we would only get about, say, 10% of people that would actually sign up. And so, you know, you can guess how many, how many emails we're having to send or how many people we're having to contact right away, you know, to get 30 people a month or more, mm-hmm. you know, on the show. Mm-hmm. And so, but now that's changed a little bit. A lot more people are coming to us to be on the show now, you know, and a lot more people know of the show. So when we ask them to be on they're they're like excited to be on the show. It's not like, well, who are you? Or, you know, what, what's your show about again? Or, you know, we're not getting any of that anymore as much. Um, and so, but initially I feel like it's being, it's, it's all about being very professional, being very organized and, and just, it's a, like our template, you know, we laid out a template. So we make it very easy for people to see my schedule and the book and to know everything they need to know about the show, but not give them too much initially because then they don't read it. You know, uh, I even created a video of, it's like two minutes. I try to keep it less than two minutes or people won't watch it. Right. But just quickly me telling them everything they need to know about the show and to help them to be prepared, you know, just like having an external mic or, you know, who the audience is going to be letting them know who they're speaking to, you know, things like that. And a lot of people won't watch it, you know, but there's new, you know, the people that do always thank me before or after the interview and say, I've never been so prepared to be on a podcast before. I wow. really appreciate, you know, that time that you spent to help me to be prepared. And so, 
um, you know, and it's going to be time well spent for you because the more prepared that they feel, the better your show's going to be, you know, the better, more content they're going to feel comfortable bringing when they feel comfortable. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. So for anyone who's listening, if you feel overwhelmed at this point, don't worry. So do (laughs) I, and I have a podcast show. So, uh, the biggest thing is get started and then what, and then come back and listen to all that Whitney just told us, this is really good stuff. And I, I, I need to, uh, I'm going to go back to everything you sent me when I was on your show and see if I can begin to replicate some of that. Whitney, this, this is excellent. I, I, uh, I want to wrap up here, but I, I want to ask you one more question, if it's okay, before we wrap up with our time. And I'd like to ask this question, and maybe I should have given this to you beforehand, but I think, I think you'll be able to come up with something. So if, kind of final question, if you could go back to your 22-year-old self, uh, when did you become a Christian, by the way, a follower of Jesus? How old were you? So I was, I was about 26, five or six. So I, I grew up in church and I would have always said I was a Christian, but I ultimately didn't have a relationship with the Lord till I was about 25 or six years old. Yeah. So kind of around that time, uh, let's just say 26, you were, you were a believer. If you could go back to, to that, you know, you just came to Christ, you're 26 years old, you're, you're starting your life with the Lord. What advice would you give young 26 year old Whitney kind of from where you stand today? Is this spiritual or is this uh, in my walk with the Lord or like business? Gosh, I hate to like, um, <laughs> is there a way you can blend them? I don't know. Well, I mean, okay, I, okay. let's, let's, how about this? Let's, let's, let's keep it business wise. Cause this is kingdom. This is a kind of a kingdom capitalist show, but gosh, I hate to, I hate to limit you, but maybe I'd like to hear both. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the Lord, I mean, the Lord just took care of us. I mean, in such a big way, my wife and I, we thought we knew the Lord. We would have always said we were believers and, you know, walked with Jesus. Oh yeah, we know who Jesus is, you know, that type of mentality. We were at church every Sunday, but that was as far as it went. And, and, the, and the Lord really, he introduced us to a family who, who just loved the Lord and they, they pretty much had nothing, but the Lord provided for them in big ways, provided housing and the vehicle and all, you know, like just in big ways. And, and they lived life out loud in front of us. Like they would invite us to come over to their house and they would feed us and, and just have meals with us and just live out loud in front of us. And, and we had never seen anything like it. You know, like we'd never hadn't seen people that just love the Lord like this, or, you know, the Lord was preparing us, you know, also at the same time. So that, you know, that was very inviting to us. We were like, wait a minute, you know, this is not, the same relationship that we have with Jesus that you have, you know, mm-hmm. like this is very different. And so, you know, it wasn't long after that, that we moved to Virginia. And so when we moved to Virginia, we became part of a local church here where, I mean, it's just amazing the Lord's timing, right? And he, and people in this church just discipled us in big ways and still are. And they didn't even know it, you know, like just the ways that they led their families and led their children and, and the way husbands were husbands. Like I'd never seen that before, you know, and, and like those things the Lord has used to disciple us. And so I would say just like in business, you need a mentor, you need somebody to, to disciple you, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, it's, you know, spiritually or, or in business. And, and that's what I needed in business as well. And so everything changed for me in business when I, my eyes were open to this, this bigger picture of what the, it was possible out there. But then also I hired a mentor. 
Okay. So, you know, I can see like the Lord, I mean, the Lord is just so gracious to allow us to be a part of the church body that we're a part of now and the way he's used them just to teach us and instruct us and, and disciple us in so many ways. And now I see it in our kids and, you know, and just what he's done. Uh, but then also in business, you know, hiring a mentor and meeting so many people through the podcast and, and, you know, over 400 shows, it's allowed me to connect with all these people who I consider a lot of them mentors as well. You know, one specifically was paid, you know, but that was a big turning point. And so, you know, I wish at 26 that I'd really, you know, knew the value of that discipleship of those people who were helping me, but then also in hiring, hiring a a mentor uh, that was just really going to give me sound guidance and help me to, you know, push a business to the next level as well. Uh, And that's, I wish I had really seen the value in that then and understood more of that then. Gosh, that's so good, man. Get a mentor. That is definitely, I mean, it's how I got into real estate. There's, I would think I would have lost all my money if I didn't have a mentor in that first deal and even even more so today and it, and it's the whole point of kingdom capitalists because and and building this business and and growing a business you know I, I wanted to put a team around me a group a community of people around me to have a tribe of mentors right yeah. who could who could really uh you know speak into my life and 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 really help me go to the next level and vice versa and so that's an amazing advice i really appreciate it Whitney, real quick, why don't you remind our listeners again how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, go to lifebridgecapital.com or you can email me at Whitney at lifebridgecapital.com. Uh, you can call or text me 540-585-4338. Love to connect, love to help anybody in the business or get started. Or obviously, uh, you know, if you've ever thought about adopting, we would love to help you get started to on the process to adopting a child or answer any questions that we can. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Thanks so much for your time, Whitney. I really appreciate it. If, if you enjoyed this uh, this podcast, everyone, please tell us in the comments. Uh, leave us a five-star review. Tell us tell us what you're enjoying about this podcast show uh, so that I know what to continue to create, what, what questions to ask, and what guests to bring. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this show today. If you want to learn more about our community, you're going to want to visit us at kingdomcapitalist.co. There you can find info on our private mastermind. And even subscribe to our newsletter to get updates on new shows. And last but not least, land opportunities to get private trainings and coaching calls with the guests of this show. If you're enjoying this show, please take a minute to leave us a five-star review and also share this with a friend. We'll see you next time.